Is it on? Yes, it's on. Every time I come here, I this. In any case, you can open your Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The sermon title this morning is Faith to Faith. And we will be reading from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. Verse 4 says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your life, of your house and your gates. Now, when we look at the book of Deuteronomy, it forms part of the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, which to the Jewish people is the only Bible, it is the only word. And they call it the Torah, which means instruction. And this concerns the instruction of the way of life for the Jews. And the way of worship, how God must be worshipped and how God expects us to love. And if we camp out in this verse with that in mind, we're selling ourselves short because we're not living under the Old Testament. Deuteronomy also means second law or the repeated law because it reiterates what has already been written in the other law books, Exodus, Leviticus. And so, like I said earlier on, if we only look at this passage from an Old Testament perspective, we will be living here with a very heavy burden on ourselves. Because it was written to the Old Testament audience. But we living under the New Testament or the Testament of Grace or the New, the Covenant of Grace. Meaning we are not made righteous by our fulfillment of the first five books of the Bible. Or we are not made righteous by through a sacrificial system which the Lord introduced. Because Jesus paid the price. He was the ultimate sacrifice for our sin once and all. He is the sacrifice and is the high priest. And right now we are sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. Because it is by grace that we are saved. Not of our own works, not that any man can boast, but it's a, it is the grace of God. And that is a time we are living in. We are made righteous through our faith in Christ. Hence we are living in, the new, in the, the new Testament time called the time of grace. Which we remember every time when we partake of communion. But here's the deal. Even though we're living under this new covenant, even though we're living in the time or the era of grace, not everybody understands it. Not everybody, even though we're in the New Testament time, living under grace, not everyone has experienced the resurrection power of Christ. 
There's a verse in the Bible that says God's wrath is hanging upon the people who don't know Him yet. And so despite living in the New Testament era, there are people who don't know Jesus. And so coming to the meaning of the title, faith to faith, what, do, what does it mean, faith to faith? It's not just belief. But based on Romans 10 verse 10, it speaks about believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And in verse 17 it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the message. Or a literal Greek statement means the statement, the account of Christ. In other words, faith is derived from hearing the gospel. When we hear the gospel, it inspires faith, it challenges us, and it brings us to a point where we realize where we stand with God and what we need to do. Because the gospel is offensive. It was a stumbling block to the Jews who tried to stay under the Torah. It was a stumbling block to those who want to choose, who choose to be under the Old Testament. The stumbling block. Because the concept of grace is foreign. Faith comes by hearing the word or the message or the statement. But it actually means faith comes by hearing the gospel. So coming to today's text, we will be asking three questions. Why must we pass on our faith? How do we pass on our faith? In other words, what we believe about the Lord Jesus. And who is to pass on this faith? Why do we pass on our faith? And we can spend hours talking about why. We can spend hours about talking how do we pass on this faith. And who is to pass on this faith? Let's look at verses 4 to 6. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. In those times there were foreign gods, lots of gods that wanted to be worshipped. And so one thing that they, that they need to get right was that there is only one God. The Lord, our God, is one. And this one God is our God. He's not a foreign God. He's not a dead God. He's not a man-made God. He's not an idol. He is the only true and wise, loving God. And that verse starts off by hear or listen, which in Hebrew means Shema, which literally means listen up, tools down. I need to have your attention now because what I'm about to say is very important. That is what that one word means. Listen, Israel. The Lord your God is one. And then he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And here's the thing about love. We love Him because He first loved us. And remember in this time it was foreign to them. But we're not in the Old Testament. We're living now today where we have the full revelation of God. And so we can try to love God and I'm sure we do love Him. But He first loved us. 
1 John 4 verse 9. And so how are we to love him? With all of our heart. And in the Hebrew understanding or the Old Testament understanding of heart, heart is where your choices sit. It speaks about, I can almost say, the control room of your life. Or your thought process. It is where you make decisions. It is where you sit and think, what is my next move? And you take that and you say, with this, with my thinking, I must love the Lord. John MacArthur writes, it is in reference to your mind. You must love the Lord with your heart. You must love the Lord with your soul. And again, in context, soul meant your life. Because they understood when God created Adam, he breathed the breath of life into Adam. And Adam became a loving being. And so life and soul is synonymous in the Old Testament. And so he says, with your life, with your createdness, with you being alive, that is how you ought to love the Lord. And with your strength. And I want to go research this one. What, what does it mean? Does it mean with my physical strength? Um, what does strength mean? It means you must love the Lord to a great degree. In other words, you must apply yourself. You must be intentional. There has to be intensity in the manner in which you love. So it's not just enough that we love God. No, we love Him with our heart, with our thought processes. We love Him with our soul, with our very life. So here we have the way we think, and we have the time on our hands, and it is with those elements that we love the Lord. And guess what? With all your strength, in other words, there has to be intentionality. And there has to be intensity in the manner in which we love the Lord. But most importantly, coming to the New Testament, Mark 12, verse 28 to 13, it is the greatest command. It is the command of the Old Testament that is still applicable today. And if there's anything about our faith that we need to carry on to the next generation and to our current generation, is that to love the Lord, our God. And it is possible through the Lord Jesus Christ because He first loved us. Because Jesus reiterates this command in the New Testament, it forms part of the foundation of our faith. And it forms part of what we need to teach every believer. But why do we need to do this? There are three points that I'm going to touch on now as to why we need to share our faith. The first one is to prevent secularism. The second one is to prevent the consumer culture. And the third one is to prevent people from ending up in hell. So let's look at the first one, to prevent secularism. So what does secularism mean? It means everything except God's way. Everything except the biblical way. Worldliness. Everything that is against God's will is secular. It is not from God, not God-inspired. That is what secular means. We are in this world, but we are not 
part of, of this world. John 17, verse 15 to 16. And in fact, Jesus prays that they be protected from the evil one in the world, but that is a sermon for another day. James 4, 4 says, If any man loves the world or is friends with the world, it brings enmity between that person and God. In other words, you can't be one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord. Because then you're bringing enmity. God becomes your enemy because he's a jealous God. He will share his glory with no man. Because when you love him, you love him with your whole heart, with your whole soul, and with all your strength. And it is not possible to love the Lord like that if you're still loving the world. If you're still entertaining the world, even if you're playing footsie-footsie with the world, it is not acceptable to the Lord. So we are, we are called to share our faith in order to prevent secularism. We are called to be holy. That's another reason why. We are called to be holy. Be holy for I am holy. This is and has always been God's standard for His children. Holy, loving there's nothing holy about the world. There's nothing in this world that will teach you how to be in right standing with God. Especially when you're going through tough times. Because in the world, always it just seems like they have the answer for you. It just seems like they have this quick fix solution and all your problems is over. But is it really God's way? Is that what God wants you to do? We are called to be God's ambassadors. We are called to be the salt and light of the earth. In Acts 1 verse 8, He called His uh, uh, followers to be His witnesses, in other words, to be His ambassadors in the world when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. In other words, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be His witnesses in our context. So firstly, why do we need to share our faith to prevent secularism? Secondly, to prevent this consumer culture. We are called to do God's things God's way. Let's go to 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 to 4. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 to 4. Let's take it from verse 2. I'll, I'll be reading now. Proclaim the message. Persist in it whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come, and believe me, is here. The time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. There's nothing new under the sun. Verse 4 says, They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And yes, Paul is speaking to Timothy, who is leading a congregation 
And we are not Timothy. But this is God's word. And there is a challenge here that lies for every person who claims to be a follower of Christ. We are all called to do the work of an evangelist. And so what we can take from this passage is that in order to prevent this consumer culture, we need to present people with the gospel. That church, when we come to church now, that church is not about what I can benefit or how I can be soothed and be comforted and what I can receive, but it is about presenting people with the gospel of Christ and growing in the Lord. And here's the deal. God will build His church. Oh, Peter, who do people say I am? Some say one of the prophets, Jeremiah or Elijah, or some of the prophets. But Peter, who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And on this rock, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. That verse is so multifaceted. But the premise on which the Lord builds His church, the rock on which the Lord builds His church, is the confession of who Christ is. So how can we have a church, and I'm not saying this church is doing it, I'm just speaking in general, how can we have a church that buys into the consumer culture, and at the same time God is building His church? It can't be. God will build this church on the confession of who Jesus is. And when we speak about church, we're speaking about the body of believers. Those who have a personal relationship with the Lord. And how will people come to Christ so that the Lord can build this church? Is the Lord going to s- s- uh, shout from heaven and call people to himself and say, you will now be my church? Or do we need to go? Or do we need to do the work of an evangelist? Do we need to go plant the seed? Does someone need to go water so that the Lord can bring the growth? The nice thing about church is there's no shortcuts. There's no easy way. It is hard work. But here's the deal. God is with us. He empowers us. And he brings the growth. But how will people come to us, uh, come to, to Christ? How will the Lord build his church if you're not introducing people to Christ? The answer is evangelism, passing on our faith to the next generation, to the next person. And then obviously teaching them to do the same. Another way in which we can prevent this consumer culture in churches is to instill a gospel culture. In other words, there must be this awareness in the congregation that, you know, people are lost and they need the gospel. You know, just so by the way, whenever we organize things and, you know, just remember that people are lost and who don't know the gospel. And we need to go reach them with the gospel, even if they reject us. Let's go to James 1, verse 
I didn't have my laptop all weekend, so I wrote my sermon. And now I'm paging through my Bible, and this is why I always like to, when I type my sermon, I want to put my passages there also. James 1 verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, we'll come to that now, and perseveres in it, and is not forgetful, and is not a forgetful hearer, but the one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. What is the perfect law that James is referring to? He is speaking about the gospel. Because it is the perfect law. Because Jesus came to perfect the law, to fulfill the law. And so it is speaking about the gospel of Christ. And so when he speaks about being doers of the word, yes, it is doers of scripture. But also following what scripture says, which is to go. Which is to live out the gospel of Christ. We are not under the law. We are under grace. And we need to go. There are countries in this world and you know about it where Christians are being persecuted for their faith. And this, even right now as I'm standing, I feel challenged to the core because we have so much freedom in this country to share the gospel without legal implications um, and without the fear of being persecuted or even killed or beaten or whatever the case may be because we are believers. We have the freedom to share the gospel. And I often think, Yo, Lord, if I must die now, and the Lord must ask me, you had all this time to share the gospel in freedom. While, now, let's say Ashton was a missionary in one of those countries. And now Ashton is there and I'm hearing, well done, Ashton, good and faithful servant. You were doing this in those countries, doing the work of, yeah, I come. Yeah, you were living there in Rosedale and, you walk, people walking past your house every day and you were in the gym or was in the gym, not in the gym anymore. <laughs> and you had access to people in freedom. People were getting in and out of your car, you were driving people, you went to youth and blah, 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 blah. But you didn't see. Look at all these people who have lost their lives for me. But you, Mr. Goliath, I don't know if you, if you will dress me like that, but you, what were you doing with your time? Did you really love me with your heart? Did you really love me with all of your strength? Did you really love me with all of your mind? So Lord, the Lord must help me. The Lord must help me in that. And the, the, the third one was why we need to share faith to the... Why we need to pass on our faith is to prevent people from hell. I know, I think I preached about hell here already. I'm not going to go into that. But we need to present the gospel unashamedly. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. First to the Jews 
In other words, those religious people. And to the Gentiles, those who have no concept of God, or maybe little concept of God, in our context, of course. And we know Paul labored for the Lord. We know the things Paul went through for the Lord. <laughs> Persecuted, shipwrecked, beaten, what else? Prison. We go through one thing. Ooh. And it's the end of the world. We don't even, okay, I'll miss you from myself. I don't even know what prison smells like. In where, when were we, I was yesterday we were talking about prison. I think, and we said, yo, what if we must get locked up one day and, and what, what, what? So I just said, you know what, I'm just going to preach the gospel. Because I don't understand what happens in prison, but they just, they must just know, the man is a man, is a man from here. <laughs> We need to prevent people from going to hell by loving the Lord and doing His work. We need to be unashamed about the gospel, not in word, in deed. Because if we only say it with our mouths, then we like the person James speaks about that looks in the mirror and as soon as he walks away, he forgets what he looks like. We need to point people to the cross Last week there was this analogy made at an induction service about this boy who was lost. And maybe some of you know this analogy. They found him in the mall. No? He went shopping with his mother in the mall. He got lost. They were looking for him. And it was time for the mall to close. And the shop owner said, ma'am, we have to close now. No, please, wait, wait, wait. I can't find my son. He was in here. Kept it so for another 15, 20 minutes, the son is not in the shop. Can't find him anywhere. They closed the mall. On night patrol, the securities came and they found the boy lying there between the mannequins. And they phoned the shop owner to come and open the shop. And then they asked him, where do you live? I don't know. What is your address? I don't know. What is your mother's cell phone number? I don't know. Because he's small. And he was probably never taught. And so they have this boy, and now they don't know how to take him home to his mother, and you can imagine what the mother is going through. And so, he, the boy tells him, but if you can take me, close to where I stay is a church, and on the church is a cross, and if you can take me to that church and I see the cross, then I will know this is the church. Then I can tell you from there where I stay. And the person doing, inducting the pastor said, Pastor, that is your work. To bring people to the cross. Because when they're at the cross, they will find their way home. And we know where home is. We know where home is. And so the big question is, how do we pass on our faith? I didn't intend to be long. And Lord, let's go back to Deuteronomy. Verse 6 says, These words that I'm giving you 
today ought to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk to them. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Pardon. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The first thing we can, re- we can learn from this passage today is that when we repeat something, it helps us in learning. Or like they say, repetition is the father of learning. And so the scripture here is calling us to teach the word to our children. And I say to the next generation and our generation by repeating it. The second thing is, where it says sit and stand in your sitting and in your standing, whether you lie down or whether you get up, this tells us that you have to be dedicated in order to pass on your faith to the next person. And when we, you remember when we're speaking about the faith, we're actually speaking about the gospel here. You have to be dedicated and passing on your faith is full time. Because it's not just when you're sitting. It's when you're standing also. I mean, it's not just when you're standing, it's when you're sitting also. It's not just when you're walking, it's when you're lying down. Which tells us there's no rest. (laughs) It's continuous. And that is the effect the Hebrew writer uses to communicate to us how serious this matter is. And for many ministries, this is the foundation of the ministry. For many, especially for the children's ministry, they always use this verse as the grounds for why they do what they do. It is full time. And because it is full time, it means under any and all circumstances. Yes, we are human. Yes, we face difficult times. Yes, we get sick. Yes, there are difficulties we face. But come on, man, God is with us even in the difficult times, because he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That is the God we serve. And so even when it's tough, it says there in, the, in, in um, verse, I bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. And modern day Jews even uh, do this, they call it um, phylacteries, which is like little steel boxes in which you carry around parchment of scripture or piece of parchment where scripture is written on. Because they take this verse literally, they want to take the word with them where they go. And some of them tie it around their wrist because they want to show, I take the Lord serious. And some even put it around their forehead because they want to show, I take the Lord serious. And that's a good idea. They take it literally, but there's a lesson that we can learn from this. Because we carry the gospel with us. Through our life, through our testimony. It might not, we don't have to tattoo here, John 3 verse 16, and have to tattoo here, uh, Romans 1 verse 16. I'm not ashamed. We don't have to do that. We can go up to someone and look them in the eye and share the gospel with them. And then the Hebrew writer speaks 
of the doorposts and the gates. Well, actually, this is God giving his instruction. So the, the word of God says, write it on your doorpost and on your gates. Now we remember the story of the Passover. They had to sacrifice a male sheep, a pure, unblemished male sheep, and then we have to sprinkle the blood on the doorpost. So when the, the slayer comes along, or the, the, the destroyer, they will not kill the firstborn of that household when they see the blood on the doorpost. And God did this to sovereignly exercise his judgment among the people. And so because of this that took place, the Greeks and the Romans, their philosophers thought, hmm, so at the doorpost, that is where God's presence is in their mind, okay? But then they also came up with this thing. This is also where the demonic is present. So for the Jew, it symbolizes the presence of God and it reminds them of the Passover where God didn't come into their home and take their firstborn. And so symbolically, that's what it means to them. And so in Deuteronomy, it also reminds them of this place is safe because God is here. And so we're not necessarily going to sprinkle blood on here. We're actually going to put God's word on our doorpost. Maybe so that God can see we serve him. Maybe so we can show the world, you know, oh, we have the word of God in our house, you know, whatever the case may be. So instead of putting the blood, they put the word there. And then obviously gate symbolically refers to people coming in and out of your property. Or so it speaks of social life when you're interacting with people. And so what is the point here? The word of God was supposed to be central in your home and central in social life. That is what the gate means. So when people come to you or when you go to people, when you interact with people, God's word must be central. Which is one of the ways in which we pass on our faith, which is part and parcel of this great command. And I know we have, I know my uncle is one of them. In the beginning, I, I couldn't understand and I was newly saved. Whenever I speak to him, it's not even five minutes. Then he just, I'm coming now, I'm coming now. And then he comes out of the room like this. You know, I just want to show you something here. And it brings a scripture. And now he wants to break bread with me with the scripture. And now I realize why he did what he did. But, that is what God requires us to do in, in our social life. Social life, wasn't it? Rondom a potset in prati. God's word must be central. The gospel must be central. Yo. And so who must pass on this faith? It is you and I. And I'm sure you knew that. <laughs> because if you look in Acts, the early church, the new believers devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word. And they had fellowship. And shortly after that, they went out two by two and did the work of the Lord. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 gives us the great commission. And we all know that verse off by heart. 
So it is clear, I don't even need to touch on this point. We know what we must do. So as I conclude, faith to faith is speaking about the gospel we need to share with the next generation. Look at what our generation is like currently. Look at all the things that is happening currently. In the week I heard about a young boy, 12 years old, wanting to, to commit suicide. 12 years old. 12 years old. can even spell suicide. Does he understand what suicide? Does he understand the implication of suicide? But he's there. He's there. He's at that stage. There's a younger boy in grade one that has anger issues. And he, he comes to school and the teacher told me at least three learners get injured by him on a daily basis. There was a girl with a boil on her hip and he pushed this girl so that she can fall on her hip on the boil. And the parents started coming to school and saying, your child is a problem. And we found out the parents, and I'm like, okay, yeah. This is what the upcoming generation. And these are the elements that they are facing. And I hope we can see how important it is to pass on the word of God and present them with the gospel. It is clear why we need to do this to prevent secularism, to co prevent the consumer culture in the church, and to prevent people from going to hell. And so how do we do this? By being intentional because the work of the Lord is full-time at all circumstances, in any circumstances. God's word must be central to our social life. And we don't need to wear the gospel with lip service. We need to go and do the gospel. And who must do it? You and I. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word that challenges us to the core and sometimes makes us uncomfortable, especially when we examine ourselves in comparison to your word. Father, I pray that you will help us to be bold for you, that we will not be sellouts, but we will be sold out for you. Help us to love you, Lord, with all our hearts, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Help us to be aware of people who don't know Jesus. And I know, Father, your Holy Spirit is so faithful. You will give us the words. You will give us the boldness to share the gospel. And so, Father, I pray for this coming week that you will present us an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And I know, Father, you will be with us. And, Father, we look forward to hearing the testimonies of who we share the gospel with. And so, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will be the after preacher of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.